Would you stand with me this morning as we honor the reading of the wonderful word of the Lord. Today we're looking in the book of Mark chapter number 5. The book of Mark chapter number 5. I want to say thank you to Pastor Sean for a great job last Sunday. I listened to the message and he did a great, great job. We appreciate uh, Sean and all of our staff keeping things moving forward while we were away. Mark chapter number 5, we're going to begin reading with verse number 1. The Bible says, Then they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gadarenes. And when he had came out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit, who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no one could bind him, not even with chains, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains. And the chains had been pulled apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces, and neither could anyone tame him. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying out and cutting himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and worshipped him. And he cried out with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you by God that you do not torment me. For he said to him, Come out of the man, unclean spirit. Then he asked him, What is your name? And he answered, saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. Also he begged him earnestly that he would not send them out of the country. Now a large herd of swine was feeding there near the mountains. So all the demons begged him, saying, Send us to the swine, that we may enter them. And at once Jesus gave them permission. Then the unclean spirits went out and entered the swine. There were about 2,000. And the herd ran violently down the steep place into the sea and drowned in the sea. So those who fed the swine fled, and they told it in the city and in the country. And they went out to see what it was that had happened. When they came to Jesus and saw the one who had been demon-possessed and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who saw it told them how it happened to him, who had been demon-possessed and about the swine. Then they begged, then they began to plead with him to depart from their region. And when he got into the boat, he who had been demon-possessed begged him, that he might be with him. However, Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion on you. And he departed and began to proclaim in Decapolis all that Jesus had done for him and all marveled. Father, I thank you for your incredible, incredible word. Father, it indeed is a lamp unto our feet, and it is indeed a light unto our path. God, I pray again today that the anointing of the Holy Spirit will rest upon the message, upon the messenger, Lord, today. God, I pray, Lord, that your work will be done, the work of the Holy Spirit will be wrought in this place. In Jesus' name, we ask all of these things. All of God's people said, praise the Lord. You may be reseated this morning. If you are new to us this morning, I want to get you caught up with the rest of us. I felt the Lord impress me to declare the year 2016 as a year of prayer. And so I began 
this year with a sermon series on prayer. We've been emphasizing prayer. We've been having special prayer meetings. We're believing God to do incredible things in response to our prayer this year. But one day as I was praying, I heard the Lord speak to me. And I heard the Lord say, miracles follow prayer. So after our series on prayer, I began a series on the miracles of Jesus. I'm calling this series Meditating on the miracles. The miracle that we are going to meditate on today is the miracle that we have just read. The miracle where Jesus delivered the demoniac of Gadara from 6,000 demons. As I began to read and reread and study and restudy and dissect this story, uh, six things became apparent to me from this story. And that's what I want to share with you this morning. The first thing I'd like to share with you today is that the grass is not always greener on the other side of the fence. You know, for some people, the only thing they want is what they don't have. And the only place that they want to be is where they're not. I would sure hate to live my life like this. Now, right before this story in the Bible is the story of Jesus and, and these very same disciples out on the water, out on the sea, in a boat, going through a storm. They were out on the water in a boat when a great storm arose, and, and the Bible says that the disciples began to freak out and began to panic, and the disciples began to accuse Jesus of not caring for them. No doubt they thought if we could just get to the other side of this lake, everything would be okay. The solution to our problem is is to escape our present set of circumstances. If we could just get from where we are to somewhere else, then everything would be okay. Ever met anybody like that? Surely they thought that the grass would be greener on the other side of the fence. But guess what? It's not. It's not. The grass is not always greener on the other side of the fence. Let's look at verses uh, number 1 and and 2 this morning and, and see. Verse 1 and 2 says that they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gadarenes. And when he had come out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. Notice the phrase, immediately. Say immediately. Immediately Immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. Spirit. You see, you see, the grass is not always greener on the other side of the fence. Even though they had been led there by Jesus, they still encountered problems. Even though they had been led there by Jesus, Satan still showed up. See, what we need to understand this morning is this. God's will does not guarantee you a trouble-free life. Saints face storms just like sinners do. Saints have problems just like sinners do. The difference in saints and sinners is saints have a Savior. 
Saints have a Savior. Saints have someone who will either save them from or sustain them in their store. Here's what we need to understand this morning. Whether we're on the water or whether we are on the land, whether we are here or whether we are there, as long as Jesus is with us, we will be okay. Listen, this morning, I cannot promise you a trouble-free life. I cannot tell you this morning that if you'll just give Jesus your life, if you'll just come to Jesus, if you'll just live for Jesus, if you'll just trust Jesus, that you will enjoy a trouble-free life, that the waters will always be calm and tranquil, that you will never encounter storm. I cannot promise you this morning that, but I can promise you this this morning, as long as Jesus is with us, amen, no matter whether we're on the water or on the land, no matter whether it is a storm or whether it is a calm day, As long as Jesus is with us, we're going to be okay. Oh, I know a lot of people are wringing their hands and wondering and fretting over the elections and who's going to become president and, ah, where they're going to lead our, you know, we're going to hell in a handbasket, you know, with this, with this candidate and this one isn't much better and people are worried and fretting. Listen, let me tell you this morning, I'm not worried. I'm not fretting this morning because I know it doesn't matter who the president of the United States is. I know who the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords is. And as long as He is Lord of my life, it doesn't matter. He's going to take care of me not telling you not to pray not telling you not to vote you need to pray and you need to vote and God give us a godly man amen in the White House God that would be awesome that would be wonderful but I'm telling you this morning that Jesus is running our world today he's in charge of our universe and as long as we are with him and he is with us it's going to be okay The grass is not always greener on the other side of the fence, so we might as well pull the weeds we already have. Notice the second thing that I see in our story this morning. Satan's goal is to totally take over your life. Satan's goal is to totally take over your life. Look at verses 2 through 5. When he had come out of the boat, Jesus, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit who had his dwelling among the tombs and no one could bind him, not even with chains, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains. And the chains had been pulled apart by him and the shackles broken in pieces, neither could anyone tame him. And always night and day, He was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying out and cutting himself with stones. Satan's goal is to totally take over your life. Think about this this morning. This demon-possessed man was once an innocent child. Perhaps he was even a mama's boy. But he had opened the door to Satan somewhere along the way. Think about this this morning. Perhaps perhaps he was introduced to sin by an older friend or sibling. Can you even imagine the guilt that someone would feel 
If they introduce their friend or their family member to a, to a sin that, that would eventually ruin their life. Let me ask you this this morning. How would you like to live with the guilt of being the one who offered the alcoholic their first drink or the dopehead their first toke? Satan's goal is to totally take over your life. John 10 and 10 says that Satan comes to steal and he comes to kill and he comes to destroy. But listen to me this morning. He begins by enticing you to barely crack open the door to him. He reassures you, you're not going to go far with this. You're only experimenting a little. You're not going to let this get out of hand. Oh, oh, he says, just one taste. He says, just one hit. He says, it's just a little innocent flirting. He says, it's just going to be one time. But Satan knows that if he can, if he can get you to crack the door open just a little bit for him, he knows that if he can eventually get his foot into the door, and then he knows that once he's in, then he is going to, then he's going to open his whole bag of tricks, and he's going to use everything that he has. He's going to use all of his tricks and all of his wares on you, and he's going to do his best to get a hold of your life and get control of your life. And before he's through and before he's finished, his desire is to destroy your life. The Bible calls him the deceiver of the brethren. This demon-possessed man from Gadara in our story today began his life just like everyone else does. He too was once an innocent child. And listen, listen, no doubt, no doubt he was more surprised than anybody else about how his life turned out. I'm quite convinced this morning that that he never planned to allow his life to get so out of control. He never once thought it would ever get this bad. But we always need to remember this morning that sin will take you farther than you intended to go. And it will keep you longer than you intend to stay. And it will cost you more than you ever intended to pay. Satan's goal is to totally take over your life. But here's the good news this morning. Here's the good news this morning. Number three, and I find this in, in this scripture is, and that is Satan can only do what he's allowed to do. Satan can only do what he's allowed to do. We find this in verse 10 through 13. He begged him earnestly that he would not send them out of the country. Now a large herd of swine was feeding there near the mountains. So all the demons begged him, saying, Send us to the swine that we may enter them. And at once Jesus gave them permission. Jesus did what? He gave them permission. Then the unclean spirits went out and entered the swine. There were about 2,000. And the herd ran violently down the steep place into the sea and drowned in the sea. Two things we need to know about Satan this morning. Number one, he is limited by God. Notice that Jesus had total control over these demons. He told them what they could and they could not do. If you remember the story of Job in the Old Testament, how that God was bragging upon this great man of God named Job and 
And how that the devil said, yeah, he's great because you've built a hedge about him and you've protected him and I can't get to him. But the devil said, you just let this, your guard down. You let the hedge of protection down for just a moment. You let me at him. You let me tempt him. You let me test him. You let me try him. And he'll curse you. You know the story. But I want you to notice that it's quite interesting that the devil had to ask permission to test Job before he could. And the Bible says that God placed a limit on what the devil could and could not do to Job. Job chapter 1 and verse number 12. God said to, Job, to the devil, said, all right, you may test him. Do whatever you want with his possessions, but do not touch him physically. You'll notice there that, that God put a limit on what the devil could do to Job. Satan can only do what he's allowed to do. And he is limited by God. Before the devil can do anything, he must first get permission from God to do it. And I ask you this morning, we're afraid of an enemy with these limitations? That he cannot do anything. He cannot test or try. He cannot bring problems or, 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 or anything into the life of a believer without first of all running it through the approval of God. But not only is Satan limited by God, but he's also limited by us. James chapter 1 verses 14 and 15 says, Everyone is tempted When he is drawn away by his own desires, say his own desires. Everyone is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. And then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, then it brings forth death. People love to blame their sin on the devil. The devil made me do it, they say. But the truth is, the devil can't make you do anything. Oh, he can entice you, and he can lure you away, and he can set a trap for you, and he can deceive you. But the truth of the matter is, this morning, Satan can only do what he is allowed to do. Satan is limited by God, and he is limited by God's people. James chapter 4 and verse number 7 says to submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Now, here's the problem this morning. Most people only quote half of the verse. They quote, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And so so they say, the Bible says that I can resist the devil, and he will flee from me. And so they resist the devil, and the devil doesn't flee. But what they don't understand is before the last half of this verse will work, we must first of all act on the first half of the verse. And the first half of the verse says, submit to God. See, see, the only way that, that you can resist the temptations of the devil is if you are submitted to God. The truth is this morning, you won't even want to resist the devil if you're not submitted to God. Because our temptations, the Bible says, are based upon our fleshly desires. Do you know the devil never tempts me to drink alcohol? He never tempts me to do drugs. 
The devil never tempts me to gamble. Why? Because I have absolutely no desire for these things. Would you like me to tell you where he does tempt me? I guess you would. (laughs) This is one of the nosiest churches I've ever been around. I can't believe you would ask, ask me something like that. Satan tempts us in the area of our strongest fleshly desire. But the Bible says that we can resist him. The Bible says we do not have to yield to the temptation. But listen this morning, the only way that we will be strong enough to resist the devil, and actually the only way that we're even going to want to resist the devil, is if we are totally and completely submitted to God and submitted to his will for our life. And even then we're going to have to resist. And the word resist means to withstand. It means to, to withstand. It means to combat. It means to battle. It means to struggle. It means to, it means to war against. Now, people often confuse temptation with sin. Temptation is not sin. It's not a sin to be tempted. It's not even a sin to want to do what we're being tempted to do. Only when we yield to the temptation do we sin. With one exception. There's a difference in having a normal fleshly desire for something and actually fantasizing about it. It's one thing for the devil to put a bad thought, a negative thought, an ugly thought, an immoral thought, a lustful thought, whatever. It's one thing for the enemy to put an improper or immoral thought in our mind. That's his job. And it's not a sin to have an improper thought. It's not a sin to have an immoral thought. It's not a sin to have a lustful thought. But when we allow that thought to grow into a fantasy, then we have yielded and we have sinned. Jesus said, You have heard. And it's even in one of my Ten Commandments, Jesus said, Thou shalt not commit adultery. But Jesus said, I say to you that if a man even so much as looks at a woman with lust in his heart, he has already committed adultery in his mind, in his heart. Now we need to understand that Jesus is not saying that just because a man notices a beautiful woman and admires the beauty of a woman, God's creation, That he sinned. No. It's just a natural thing for a man to notice the beauty of a woman. You men aren't going to say amen for nothing, especially those of you sitting by your wife. And I'm way up here, my wife's way down there. Let me help you out, ladies. Let me help you out, ladies. If he doesn't notice notice the beauty of another woman, he got bigger trouble. You got bigger problems. It's not a sin. 
a natural thing. God made man visual. And so it is natural that man would notice and be drawn to a beautiful woman. That's not sin. But Jesus said if he's, if he's gone from, from a glance or a look or a notice to a fantasy, then he's already committed adultery in his heart. The old country song says, I've already loved you in my mind. I don't know how I know about that song, but... I think I must have Googled it or something. Here's what we we need to understand this morning. The closer that we get to the temptation, the more we're going to desire it. And the closer to Jesus we get, the less that we are going to desire to yield to our temptation. Galatians chapter 5 and verse number 16 gives us the answer. Paul says in Galatians 5 and 16, Paul says if you'll walk in the Spirit, you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. Pastor, how in the world are we going to keep from sinning? How in the world are we going to keep, amen, from sinning? But the only way we're going to keep from sinning is if we get close to Jesus. Because the closer to Jesus we get, the less that we're going to desire to yield to our temptations. If we will walk in the Spirit, then we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Satan can only do what he is allowed to do. Notice the, notice the next thing that I see is, as we meditate on this miracle this morning. Number four this morning, only Jesus can deliver someone from Satan's grasp. Only Jesus can deliver someone from Satan's grasp. We find that in verse number 6 through 9. It says that when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and worshipped him. And he cried out with a loud voice and he said, What do I have to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High? I implore you by God that you do not torment me. For he said to him, Come out of the man, unclean spirit. And he asked him, What is your name? And he answered, saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. Although Satan can only do what we allow him to do, people who continue to yield to the temptation of Satan will eventually become controlled by him. Now, now this morning, I'm certainly no expert on demons. Most, most of the little demons that I have to deal with claim, claim to be Christians. I don't claim to be an expert on demons, but I do know this. If you get close enough to the fire, you're eventually going to get burned. And although I don't believe that every sinner is demon-possessed, I do know that every sinner has been influenced by demons. And I certainly do not believe that that Christians can be demon-possessed. But listen, even Christians can can be influenced by demons when they dabble in the territory of the enemy. And I'm afraid that too many Christians try to see just how close to the world they can get without being in, becoming influenced by the world instead of trying to get as close to Jesus as they possibly can, which automatically will set them apart from the world. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14 through 18, Paul writes and he says, Don't team up with those who are unbelievers. He says, How can righteousness be a partner with wickedness? And how can light live with darkness? 
And what harmony can there, harmony can there be between Christ and the devil? And he says, how can a believer be a partner with an unbeliever? And what union can there be between God's temple and idols? For we are the temple of the living God, as God said. I will live in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. He goes on to say in verse number 17, Therefore come out from among them and separate yourselves from them, says the Lord, and do not touch their filthy things. And I will welcome you, and I will be your father, and you will be my sons and my daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Did you hear what the Apostle Paul wrote? Apostle Paul wrote, said to come out from the world and be separate, to live a separate life and a separated life. And Paul emphatically says, do not touch the filthy, unclean, vulgar things of this world. Oh, hear me this morning. I want to challenge you today to separate yourself from the world. Don't linger in Satan's territory. Don't flirt with his stuff. Instead, take a lesson from Samson. Take a lesson from Samson who continued to visit the territory of the devil. Who continued to flirt with people of the world. Who never intended to get caught in the trap of the devil. But the Bible says that little by little and inch by inch he began to drift closer and closer and closer and closer to the world. And farther and farther and farther and farther away from God. Until one day the Bible said that he discovered that his foot was caught in the trap of the devil. And one of the saddest scriptures in all of the Bible is Judges chapter 16 and verse number 20. Speaking of Samson, when it says he did not realize that the Spirit of the Lord had departed from him. Can you imagine how Samson must have felt when he knew what it was to have the touch of God upon his life? When he knew what it was like to have have the, the anointing of God upon him? When he knew what it was like when the Spirit of God would come mightily upon him? But can you imagine what he must have felt that day when he said, I will go out and I will shake myself as other times. I will go out once again and I will pray to my God and the Spirit of God will come upon me. But he didn't realize and he didn't understand that the Spirit of God had been lifted from him, that the Spirit of God had departed from him. Can you imagine what he must have felt knowing what the Spirit of God felt like but now all of a sudden the Spirit of God was nowhere to be found. Maybe that's you this morning. You know what it's like. You know what it's like to have the Spirit of God living on the inside of you. You know what it's like to be anointed of the Spirit of God. You know what it's like to be blessed by the Spirit of God. But you do not understand that the Spirit of God has departed from you. You've gotten so close to the world. You've gotten so close to the enemy. you spent so much time in the enemy's camp that the Spirit of God cannot stay any longer. He has removed himself from you and you're not even aware of it. You're here today and you've made far too many trips down to the territory of, of Satan. Little by little by little you have drifted closer and closer and closer to Satan. And farther and farther and farther away from God. The good news is this morning no one is too far gone that Jesus cannot reach. No one is too far gone that Jesus cannot reach. The demoniac of Gadara in our story today was possessed with a legion of demons. The word legion means 6,000. 6,000 demons possessed this man. But Jesus spoke to the head demon and said, Come out of the man, unclean spirit. And this demon must obey the voice of Almighty God. And this demon in charge came out of this Man bringing his 5,999 lesser demons with him. 
Hear me this morning, if you're possessed by demons today, Jesus can set you free. If you're here this morning and you're a Christian or you claim to be a Christian and you've allowed the devil to influence you or lead you into some form of addiction, I'm telling you this morning, you're not too far gone. I'm telling you that you're in the right place today. I'm telling you that Jesus can liberate you this morning, that Jesus can speak a word today and the chains can be broken from off of your life and you can be set free today. The fifth thing that I find in our story today, people are often more concerned with the earthly than the eternal. I'm running out of time this morning, so I'm not going to read the verses, but you'll find that in verses 13 through 17. People are often more concerned with the earthly than the eternal. The owners of the pigs were more concerned with their loss of revenue than the restoration of a man's life. Instead of being excited about this man that nobody could tame, this man that had been banned to live among the tombs, this man that had become an outcast to society, society had, had washed their hands of this man. The society had said there's nothing that can be done for him, but Jesus set him free, and Jesus made him whole and made him well. But when they came out to see, they were not excited about the man that was set free. They were upset. They were upset about the 2,000 pigs that were dead. To them, pigs were more important than people. We live in a day when many churches and many pastors no longer deal with sin. Some pastors won't preach about sin. They won't preach about hell. They won't preach about judgment. They refuse to preach about anything that's negative because they fear they might offend somebody. They're more interested in building their kingdom than God's kingdom. More interested in numbers than souls. More interested in money than biblical accuracy. More concerned with the earthly than the eternal. But hear this preacher of truth this morning. I love you too much to lie to you. And I love you too much this morning to let you go to hell. And let me tell you this morning, I'd rather oversave you than undersave you. Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Hear me this morning, being politically correct won't save you. Watering down the word won't save you. Dancing around the edges of the truth won't save you. Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and the truth, and the whole truth, and nothing but the truth shall set you free. And the truth is, this morning, sin will separate you from God, but God will separate you from sin. Notice the last thing this morning I find in our scripture for today. And that is we should prove ourselves at home before sharing our testimony with the world. You find that in verses 18 through 20. This man from Gadara wanted to join the traveling ministry of Jesus. He suggested that he could be the lead-off man for the crusades for Jesus. He could be the lead-off man. 
And he could start out the crusade with his amazing testimony. And what an incredible and unbelievable and fabulous testimony that it was. And he begged Jesus to let him travel with him. He begged Jesus to let him join his group and join with him. And be an itinerant minister with Jesus. But Jesus said, go home. Go home. Go preach to your friends and go preach to your family first. May I suggest this morning that our family and friends should be our first priority in ministry. 25 years ago, my wife was struggling with the disappointments and the inconsistencies of people in the church. And she was struggling. One day I told her, I said, honey, I'll walk away from ministry. I'll walk away from ministry for a while if you need to. If that's what we need to do, I'm willing to walk away from ministry for a while. Of course, we didn't. But I'm saying that I always place my family above my ministry. If you make me choose between you and my family, I won't even have to pray about it. I'll choose my family. I can't imagine winning the whole world and losing my family. If I were to win the whole world and lose my own family, I would feel a failure. Jesus said, go home. Go home. We should prove ourselves at home before sharing our testimony with the world. Let me knock on your door this morning and ask you what it's like at your house. Let me ask you what it's like in your home. Does your kids sit in church and watch you in church and wonder who in the world that is on the platform? Who that is with a microphone? Who that is leading that man? Who is that? That's not the same man that lives in my house. We need to take care of things at home before we go public. Let me ask you this morning, are you the same at home as you are at church? Let me ask you this this morning, have you won the respect of your friends? Have you won the respect of your families? Listen, this morning before we talk the talk, we should first walk the walk. We should prove ourselves at home before sharing our testimony with the world. If we could have the musicians and singers back in place this morning. The miracle we're highlighting today was a miracle of deliverance. A man that was possessed with a legion of demons. Legion means 6,000 demons. A man was possessed with 6,000 demons. His family, his friends, society had written him off. He was banned from society. He was thrown out of the city and out to live among the tombs. The world wanted nothing more to do with him. They knew not what they could do. They could not help him. I don't know this morning, there might not be one single person here today that is possessed by demons. There are no doubt several who have been influenced by them. No doubt some who, who are flirting with the world. 
some who are spending too much time in the enemy's territory. Some who are drifting away from the Lord and drifting toward the world. Perhaps there are some this morning in this house that have picked up some of the addictions of the world. God doesn't want you bound by anything. If you're here this morning and you're bound by some addiction, it might be nicotine, it might be alcohol, it might be drugs, it might be pornography. And the list goes on and on this morning. I'm telling you this morning that Jesus is here today to set you free. He's here this morning to, to break the shackles that have you bound. No doubt, no doubt, those that are addicted by pornography, and I know you're here because statistics tell us that you're here. And you hate it, and you fight it, and you don't want it, and you can't stand it. But it's such a pull, it's such a tug, it's an addiction. Same Jesus that set this Gadarene demoniac from 6,000 demons, set him free, can set you free from your addiction today. One word from Jesus and you can be set free. Would you stand with me in this house this morning? God, I just pray that you'll do your work this morning. Do your work today. Holy Spirit, do your work today. Holy Spirit, do your work today.